Non-stop talk radio, streaming 24 hours a day. Whoa, whoa, what am I hearing? This is TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio. TalkZone presents All Things Employment with Vicki Causa. All Things Employment with issues, answers, and information for today's job market. Here's your host, Vicki Causa. Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of All Things Employment. I'm Vicki Causa. I'm your host. And for the next hour, we'll be talking about items and issues that can help folks in transition. That is, anybody who may be in the position of looking for a new job. You may have already been let go from your job, or you may be knowing that something's going to happen to you shortly. But whatever the case may be, you may need to get ready for a transition coming up very soon. So I would also like to let you know that the phone lines are open. They are always open, and you are more than welcome to call in with questions or comments. I'd like to know about the situation you may be in because of a job loss or where you are in your job search. So please feel free to give us a call at any time at either 888-463-6748. That's 888-GO-FOR-IT. Okay, so last week we did some work. We talked a little bit about riding that emotional wave of being between positions. We talked about some things that you may not be aware of. We also talked about the real importance of networking and how that will really be the key to getting you your next opportunity as opposed to sending out resumes on job boards or sending out resumes to ads that you may see posted. So what I want to do today, start off a little bit differently and not so much talk about if you are already looking for a new job, but what I want to talk also about if you are if you are in a position and you know you may be let go shortly and or you've been told that your company is downsizing, there are some things that I absolutely want to make sure that those folks are aware of as well. Now, the first thing I want to talk about seems to be almost like a no-brainer to some people, but believe it or not, there are some folks who are still not 100% sure about this, and that really is the unemployment benefit. Some folks that I've counseled through some of the work here at, at, in our offices have said, well, I don't need to get unemployment because I've got a severance package. Well, that's great if you have a severance package, but you still need to apply for unemployment as soon as you can simply because of the fact that your job search may extend a lot longer than what your severance package will take you through. So go to the unemployment office and make sure that you fill in those papers immediately. Now, most full-time employees who lose their jobs through no fault of their own, either you know by downsizing or right-sizing or companies closing, are eligible for unemployment benefits depending on how long you've worked and how much you've earned. Now, generally speaking, contractors and folks who are self-employed are typically not eligible, but most other people are. Now, eligibility requirements vary by state to state, but in most cases, you must work four out of the last five completed quarters before you file for benefits. So the money you receive is based on the money you made over the past 52 weeks. Even if you've worked in different companies over the past 52 weeks, when you're at the unemployment office or you're signing up online, and most people can, most states have that available, which is a great, great tool for folks these days, you put down all of the places you've worked and the wages that you've earned, and that's how they determine 
if you are eligible, number one, and number two, how much of an eligibility or how much in pay you will get. Now, in most states, you can be paid for up to 26 weeks. Now, I'm sure you've been reading the paper and have seen a lot of information about the unemployment rate being so high. There has been addition. There has been an additional extension granted to anybody who's been on the unemployment program today or anybody who signs up for it. So make sure you understand exactly what you may be entitled for. Now, if you are laid off, you need to quickly file a claim with your state unemployment office. And again, in many places, you could do that on the phone or on the Internet. Now, after filing the claim, you can expect to wait three weeks or more before receiving your first check, which again is why we say even if you're getting a severance package, the unemployment office will tell you when you may be entitled to receive the pay when they take they factor in the severance that you may be getting, but at least you're already in the system, and when that severance runs out, you are already there, and you can the claim can can be brought up to the forefront, and you can start collecting. So please don't discount that. Now, if in fact you are being laid off, or you know you're being laid off, make sure you check your unused sick days, your personal days, and your vacation time. Now, contrary to popular belief, there are few laws that require employees to be paid for sick days, personal days, or vacation time. And what that really means is that companies are not obligated to pay you for those days or give you those as an employee. But if your company does, and if you are entitled to sick time or vacation time or personal time, make sure that you are you get what you have earned. So if, in fact, you've earned a certain amount of time, you should make sure that you get that money in your final check or in any kind of a package that you get. Now, what I would absolutely encourage everybody to do is to check your employee handbook to make sure that you're aware of how your company treats this issue. Now, a lot of companies have their handbook online. So if, again, you know that a layoff is coming and something may be brewing in your department, get online on your internal website and get a copy of your employee handbook copy it if you need to to make sure you know exactly what you should be getting when and if the time comes that your job has been eliminated. Now, California is a state that requires employees to immediately pay workers their accrued vacation time at the time of termination. Check with your local labor department to find out what rules and regulations you may be entitled to or you may be protected under, depending on what state you work in. Typically speaking, in most states, with California being one of the exceptions, they will tell you what you will get. You will get it paid within a certain amount of time. But in California, if you are let go or if you're terminated or whatever the case may be, you are to collect that money on the day you're leaving. Okay, so it's real important to make sure that you're you're really in sync with what's going on in, in your own state and, and locality. Now, severance pay. Again, there is no federal or state law that requires an employee to pay severance. But if it has been the practice where you work or where you have worked, you may expect something like this. Now, employers typically spell out the severance policy, including details on the amount, the timing, and duration when it comes to how long you will be paid for or how much time you may have accrued. Now, a typical severance policy would include paying the employee one week for every year of employment. Now, some companies choose a more generous route and provide two or three weeks. Again, important to check your handbook. Make sure you know what your company is giving you or what you may be entitled to. So if, in fact, there is something that you're not sure of, get a copy of that book and make sure you know exactly what's in there regarding vacation, sick, and severance pay. 
Now, even if you receive a severance package, as I said, I know it sounds redundant, make sure you file for unemployment. You may have to exhaust all your severance benefits before you get starting get a check from the government, but at least you're already in the system. Now, if you've accrued incurred rather expenses during a business trip for your company, if you've purchased a work laptop on your credit card and suddenly find yourself out of work, you're generally entitled to be reimbursed for that when you're laid off, which is why you need to keep very good records of what it is you're doing and what money the company may owe you. Now, many states view the business expenses as wages, and there may be some penalties for non-payment. So if your employer does not pay, your employer would be penalized for that, plus you would get the money that they owe you. So make sure you have copies of everything you've done and every penny you might have spent for your for your job. Now, notice before layoffs. Some companies will give notice or give notice way in advance. Now, if the company you worked for has more than 100 workers, in most cases the firm is required to give employees 60 days notice and pay in lieu of a mass layoff. Now, just be aware of what's happening in your area. This federal law is known as the Worker Adjustment and Retiring Retraining Notification Act, or the WARN Act for short. Again, it's the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act, or we typically call it the WARN Act, W-A-R-N. And it requires employers to notify employees. However, there are some restrictions to this. The layoffs must affect 50 or more workers and at least one-third of employees at a particular facility or impact 500 or more workers. Now, about two dozen states have their own notification laws on top of the WARN Act. So just be sure to check with your local Department of Labor to see what provisions may be in your state. Now, if a company shuts down because of a dramatic event, such as losing a government contract, that represented perhaps 90% of a firm's business, then workers may not be entitled to the notice. But just because a firm has filed for bankruptcy or layoffs workers because of a bad economy does not mean that workers are not entitled to notice and pay. Now, here's the catch. Unfortunately, if an employer refuses to provide you notice, there is no government body that enforces the WARN Act. Then your only recourse at that point may be the legal system. But again, these are just some tips that I think you need to know if you think you may be laid off, if you work in a company that has a large employee base, if your company has been a government contractor. These are some of the things that you may want to keep in the back of your mind when you are told that this is happening. I would encourage you to get a copy of your employee handbook as soon as you can. Again, it's probably online and that's the best way to keep it updated so you can be sure that everything that you have there certainly is the most up-to-date information. But I would encourage you to take a look at that. Make sure you're aware of it. If your company has a severance plan, know what you may be entitled to based on how long you've been there, your level within the company, so that when it comes time for this conversation, you know what you can expect. And keep very good records and very good track of what you might have spent for the company in so much as a business trip or some kind of business equipment that you might have had to purchase on their behalf. So you make sure that you get that back. Okay? Again, want to remind you the phone lines are open. You can give us a call at 888 888- or 888-GO-FOR-IT. Okay, now, what I wanted to start to talk a little bit more about, and again, continuing on what we chatted about last week, 
is what your toolbox should look like. Now, when I say your toolbox, what you need to have prepared or what your whole arsenal, if you will, of information is going to be when you're starting your job search. Now, what I want to do is kind of give a quick little quiz here, and, and we'll do them together, obviously, but true or false kind of statements. Now, we always start off with saying, you know, true or false, someone will review my resume for content before passes, passing it along. And the key there is we're saying someone will review. And the answer to that really is false because in many, many companies today, especially large companies, and especially due to the fact that there are so many resumes coming in the door, resumes are put through an applicant tracking system and they're really scanned for certain words. So their keywords that you would have to include in your resume to get it reviewed come from the job posting or come from the ad or come from the position that you may be wanting to apply for. So we'll talk a little bit about that as, as we continue. But just understand that usually nobody looks at a resume when it first hits the door or hits the company. It gets scanned for a resume. It gets scanned for keywords. Okay. Now, the other thing we say is I should have just one resume that lists all of my work experiences and that is false. You can have as many resumes as you want. You can have the focus on anything you'd like to have from your career, but just make sure that you keep track of where you send your resume and to what company because you don't want to be in a position where you get a phone call for a screen interview or an interview and they're asking questions and all of a sudden you're not 100% certain which resume you sent to which company. So you need to make sure you keep really, really good records. And we talked about that in the last segment when we said set some some time or some place aside in your home for your job search or for your campaign as we call it. So keep great records of where you sent the resume and to what companies. Okay, next true or false question. Cover letters are not necessary. The answer to that is false. There's been sort of a a couple of different schools of thought on cover letters and whether or not a cover letter really is necessary and what it should say and what it shouldn't say. Now, what I also always tell folks is that a cover letter really may be the key to what unlocks the resume for the reviewer. Now, the way you position the cover letter, what you include in the cover letter, and how it leads into the resume is really the key. So the cover letter does not have to be extremely long or detailed, and nor should it repeat items from your resume. What you really want that cover letter to do is entice the reviewer to look at your resume. So you're really whetting the appetite of the reviewer to say, gee, there's something here that is really intriguing and want, makes me want to look further. So cover letters are definitely back in vogue. They're definitely necessary. The one thing that comes up a lot when I tell people about that, they'll say, well, yeah, I know they're necessary, but normally if I send my resume in on the Internet, I don't get a whole lot of space to put a cover letter because usually they want the the resume in a Word document or in a certain document style. But if you do get that space, however small it may be, practice crafting a cover letter that includes as many of those keywords from that ad or the job posting that you possibly can because, again, that is what's going to get you unlock the resume. That will, That is the key that will have employers wanting to see more about what it is that you've done. 
Now, the other true or false question, and this is this one probably is not a big trick to anybody, and resumes can be more than one page in length, true or false, and the answer there absolutely is true. Depending on how long you've worked in any organization or the amount of experience that you've had, your resume absolutely needs to be longer than just the one page. Two pages is fine, and at the very rarest occasions when there is a great deal of information or when somebody has been in a, a, a position that's extremely detailed, you may want to go to three. But I would really be careful about how I position information in the resume because you don't want anybody to have to look really deeply into it to find out what they're looking for. They should be able to find something out as, immediately by looking at your resume. Now, the other thing we say is, Posting my resume to job boards is the best way to get my credentials reviewed, and that's false as well. And if you listen to the show last week, we talked about that a bit, the fact that 80% of the really good jobs that are out there, that's 8 out of 10, are never put on any kind of a website or any kind of a job board. They generally are done through networking, and that's part of uncovering that hidden network or that hidden job board that we talk about. So again, Posting your resume to job boards is not the best way to get your credentials reviewed. It's one way, and I would never say that you shouldn't do that, but you absolutely need to understand that that probably is not going to get you your next opportunity. It may get your resume out there, but it won't get the next opportunity that you're looking for. Okay. Now, we mentioned before about the fact that somebody will review my resume or will somebody review my resume. So let's take that a step further. When your resume gets into the applicant tracking system or the scanning system, it will look for certain words. Now, depending on how many words that they're setting as the threshold, if they're looking for a resume that has at least 15 or 20 or 10 or 8 or however many words, resumes then will be put into a certain pile where they then will get reviewed. But you need to know, too, that resumes will be reviewed for between 15 and 30 seconds before an initial decision is made. So 15 to 30 seconds, you have to be so compelling on that resume and have information placed in such a strategic way that those 13, those 15 to 30 seconds will absolutely generate enough interest for somebody to want to give you a call. Okay, so remember that scanning first, 15 to 30 seconds before an initial initial decision, and that's even if they want to do a phone screen. Now, People say, okay, fine, so when when should I follow up? What are the best days to follow up with phone calls? Now, if you've got somebody to contact, again, if you did have a reference name or somebody at a company that you're following up with, the best days really to call are Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And Thursdays are fine as well. Definitely stay away from Monday and definitely stay away from Friday. Because, again, Monday is they're just getting back in and they're trying very, very hard to catch up with emails over the weekend. And Friday people are trying to wind down and really your, your email will get lost or your call will get lost. So I, I would suggest Tuesday and Wednesday and maybe Thursday mornings as well. Now, the one thing that I always like to stress with people is that the most important part of the resume is the top piece of the resume. And we stay away from the old objective on the top of the resume. Rather, we put a summary statement up there. And what I call that really is the prime real estate of any resume. As in real estate, it's location, location, location. Well, the same thing. You need to have something very compelling at the top portion of that resume in order to get somebody to look further down. So we can talk about that a little bit as we get into this as well. Now, people also say to me, gee, once I've sent my resume in, 
how long should I should I should I expect or how long should it take before I hear back from anybody on a resume? And normally what we say is five to ten days. If you've sent in a resume and you don't hear something within five to ten days, you pretty much have to figure you need to move on and you're not going to get called. If they are interested, they'll call you within that first week or the second week. So five to ten days is absolutely the, the, the best time to expect a call back. Now, two things. My resume, any resume, should never contain two things, two very important things. They should never contain an error, and they should never contain a lie. Because if there's an error on the resume, any type of an error, and we'll talk about that as we get into this a little bit more, or if there's a lie on the resume or something that cannot be verified, it is worthless. So those two very important things to keep in mind. Now, the other thing I want to mention just before we go to break, every single resume must answer one question. Every resume, regardless of what position you are going for. And that question is how I can solve your problem. Now, remember, too, that there really are no jobs available today or no employees, employers have jobs available. They have problems to solve. So if your resume and your cover letter can get that problem solved or can speak to how you can solve that problem, you have a very good shot of getting somebody to take a look further and take a look, take a chance on giving you a call. So remember, that top piece of that resume really is the most important part. Think of it as a newspaper. When you pick up a newspaper, especially the larger editions, whatever is above the fold is what gets looked at first. So the most important piece of a resume, the most important part of information that you want someone to see should be at what we call the prime real estate of a resume or above the fold. So again, you stay away from those objectives, the tired objectives that are out there. We need to talk about how to make that pop for you, how to get the information on the top of that so that you you catch the attention as soon as you can and that you're able to want them to look further. You're whetting their appetite. That's really what it's all about. So we're going to take a a break here shortly. I would encourage you to give us a call, 888-463-6748. Be back in a moment. 